Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. Hey, happy Friday, everybody. It's great, beautiful, beautiful weather out here on the East Coast. Hopefully it lasts. So nice, not really disgustingly hot. It's just beautiful. So we're going to do some talking today about rescues, shelters, um, and what happens when you get your own rescue dog. Well, you've heard me. I'm very outspoken. I'm very much to the point, very blunt. And a lot of you have called, emailed, reached out to me, met me in airports, whatever, and you recognize my voice or whatever, and you say, you know, hey, I rescued this dog, and my dog, you know, it's He's got a lot of problems and, you know, he's aggressive or he's scared or, you know, he was abused or whatever. And I tell people the same thing. It doesn't matter what you do because you can't change the past. You cannot change what happened five minutes ago. You can't change what happened when you just breathed. If you just held your breath, I cannot change it. You just held your breath. Please, please breathe. We don't want you to die. We want you to be healthy. We want you to be happy. We want you to move forward. Stop living in the past. Everybody lives in the past. Now, lately, and it's, it's kind of cool because two nights ago, I got somebody reached out to me and said, hey, can you foster these two dogs for me? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I got a lot of dogs. And, you know, I don't take more than I feel that I can take care of with my staff. But. I said, all right. So I took these two dogs. They're young dogs. I rescued them. How many dogs have I rescued? Man, I don't know. It's hundreds on hundreds on hundreds on hundreds, probably into the thousands, because there's so many dogs out there who have issues. There's so many people, more people with issues than dogs, let me tell you. But the problem is you can't go back. You, everybody lives in the past. People try to hurt each other. People trying to yell at each other. People trying to destroy each other. And I am so passionate about this. Let Listen, I've been in this field a long, long time. I don't talk about all the thousands of people I help. I never do. Those people know who I help, and a lot of people don't even know that I help them because I'm anonymous. I can be very anonymous, and those of you who who are listening can understand sometimes you just want to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And you just don't want to be known. You just want to do it because you know what? That's the way God intended. That's the way everyone should be not trying to win a prize. And I'm not talking dog shows, horse shows for accomplishments. I'm talking about ripping apart other people or ripping apart doing bad things or bad things to animals or to children And I've said it before, I'll say it again. You hurt something, you hurt a child, you hurt an animal, you hurt somebody precious to me or someone I love, and yes, you're going to feel wrath. And that's what we should be. Why are we soft-soaping everything in life? Why is it that people can't just be kind to each other? Why is it that people who fail because they're no good people who fail because they're mentally ill. And, I'm, and I have apologies to those of you who are truly mentally ill because I help you too. So you feel free to help out. We'll give you a free service dog if you need it too. But the idea being, why is it that people try to tear down goodness? People trying to hurt those who are doing good. You know why? Because they can't do it themselves. People who hurt animals, And people who hurt children or elderly people are the ones who all of us should be going after. We should go after them with a vengeance, and they should not be allowed to do that. I have heard stories of kids, young kids, 6, 7, 8, and teenagers, 10, 12, 11, 13, you know, 15, adults who have so severe, severe issues because of They were abused or they had something terrible happen, PTSD. And my heart breaks for these people. And you know what? I do what I do because it's for me. I love to help other people. Why is it that people say, hey, Janice, why is it you do so much for so many people? And I laugh because you probably know 1%, maybe 1% of what I've done in my life. I don't tell people who all I help and 
all the animals I've rescued and, and how, you know, the things I've done that I won't put out on in public, but the things that I've put out to help animals and the money I've given and the help I've given and the support I've given to so many people. You know why? Because it's not why I do it. I'm really, really discouraged and disappointed and really sickened at this crazy world we're living in. This is not the world I grew up in. And I feel so bad for the kids who grew up now, who are starting to grow up now, because they don't know this amazing America we used to live in. And those of you who have a few years and are a little bit more seasoned, you know what I'm talking about. A world where people were kind to each other. Remember back during 9-11? I think it was the best time in our country. People were patriotic. They loved the country. People were kind to each other. They didn't cut each other off. They didn't give each other the middle finger because they got cut off on the highway. In a car accident, people didn't yell at each other. Hey, it's called an accident, okay? But there are things that happen that are accidents. There are things that happen in life. And we can understand that. Somebody hits a dog, you know, they're driving their car and a dog runs out or a deer runs out or a bird flies out in front of them. Those are accidents. Those things we don't have control over. But kindness and evil, for lack of a better way to say it, why is it that the people who can't make something of themselves have to try to tear down others? We see it in the government. We see it in the media. We see it personally. We see brothers and sisters. We see parents who are torn apart families torn apart. And you know what I see a lot is people being torn apart because of dogs, people being torn apart because of their children, disagreeing. And all that that does is it hurts that person or that animal that we love. So let's stop doing that. Let's give dogs what they need. Let's give children. Let's, why can't we have every child in the whole world loved? You know why? Because there's not enough good people who want to help out there. Be a force of good. Be good. Just be and be good. So let's talk about these dogs. Let's talk about little kids, too, that are abused. Human trafficking. Yes, this has nothing to do with dogs, but it does because it's the evil that is so inherent in this world right now. It is sick. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's truly, truly like the end of the earth. I swear, I, I've had people who are quite religious, and they're telling me, "Up, oh, this is this is going to be the end of the world." I don't know. I'm starting to believe it a little bit. So, what do you do when somebody hurts an animal? Now, what would you do? Let's say your name is I don't know. I don't know. Well, give, give me a good name. Your name I don't know. Your name is Joe Schmo. All right, Joe Schmo. So you're somewhere and you see a child being hit, being abused, being attacked, assaulted, or maybe you work in a school and there's a child there that you know is being molested or harmed at home. Wouldn't you do something? Wouldn't you just do the right thing, even if it maybe meant you were going to get fired from your job for telling somebody? Wouldn't you maybe do something and maybe try to stand up for that child or that animal? John Quinones, who I love, who does this What Would You Do um, TV show. I love that show. And it's people who really do the right thing, and we don't see enough of those people. I'm one of those people, and a lot of you are those people. We have to start standing up to whoever it is who's hurting us, who's hurting animals, who's hurting children. But what do you do when you have that child? And unfortunately, I deal with a lot of kids, young kids, and like I said, adults, but especially the younger kids, it breaks my heart that you know they've been beaten, they've had multiple fractures, they've had skull fractures, they've been sexually molested, they've been assaulted, they've been used and raped and beaten by other people. And, and sometimes the people who are, you know, creating the situation 
or maybe parents or relatives who know the family, who know the child. You can't always be there to help everybody. But what you can do, and this is what today is going to be about, is move forward. I won't say to forgive, and I definitely won't say to forget, because forgiving is fine, because you need to forgive whoever hurt your animal, or whoever hurt that child, or whoever hurt you. You need to forgive, because if you don't forgive, you can't move forward. I forgive everybody who's ever done anything wrong to me. doesn't mean I have to forget, and you have to learn from your experiences. Now, with a child, we have the benefit that we can speak to a child. We can speak to somebody who's been hurt. And whether the child has uh, a disability or the child has autism or some other developmental delay or some kind of other uh, concern. But other than that, we can get pretty good line of communication. We can have them chat. We can have them draw. We can do music therapy, horse equine therapy. Um, all different kinds of things. What do you do when the dog has been the one that's be abused? Because the dogs or cats, these animals that are abused, they can't speak. They can't even testify in court. Do you know that in court, because of who my husband uh, was and, and still is to this day, do you know that animals who find narcotics, the animal does not testify the police officer who finds that and utilizes the dog as a tool testifies on the dog's behalf. But the dog, it's interesting because this was something that uh, my husband was one of the people fighting for uh, besides the other things that he did with the Say No to Drugs program. Um, my husband used to try to get the animals to be considered as police officers. Because if the animal is considered as an animal, then it was just an animal cruelty charge if someone hit or shot or harmed the dog in any way. My husband was uh, one of many, I'm sure, but he was one of the heads of this, where he said, you know, we have to get at the, the dogs who are testifying, narcotics dogs, we have to get these dogs protected. And I'm not talking bulletproof vests, I'm talking about why are you know, you're going in there and somebody shoots your dog so you can't now perform that duty. Or your dog is a patrol dog and is going after someone and they shoot the dog. Well, that's now considered the same as if you shot a human being, a human officer. So there are laws out there to protect animals. There are laws to protect children and, uh, and adults, but especially with kids. There are different kinds of things out there. But again, that's for the humans, right? What do you do with the animal? Okay, so you say, okay, this animal was abused. Like there was one dog that I had many, many years ago, and somebody had burnt it with, I guess, battery acid or something, um, and it had very bad burns. This is year. I mean, this is 30 years ago. Um, now, what do you do for that animal? Because I, I want to talk about that with you guys today. We, and listen, all I do all day is deal with people and, and dogs pretty much, and sometimes horses. But people say to me, oh, my gosh, you know, Janice, my dog was abused. My dog was hurt. My dog was beaten. My dog was shot. There are plenty of dogs that have bullets in them or, or shrapnel or, you know, bird shot. Um, it's, it's terrible. But what do I do that, like, how do I fix this? Because... You know, my dog is like, you know, is scared of loud noises or my dog is, you know, afraid, you know, when I reach out or sometimes I touch him in a certain way and my dog is terrified. What do I do? Well, first thing is it's got to get past their past. How are you going to ever fix anything in your life or in a child's life or in an animal's life if you don't start living in this moment and then in the next moment and in the next moment and then the moment after that the key here is that you have to remember that the most important thing is not keeping your animal stuck in the past because otherwise all you're doing is 
reenacting, reconsidering, reconfirming that moment by moment by moment because you're saying, oh, but he was abused. Oh, but he was beaten. Oh, but he was burned. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. But you have to be able to move forward. So what do you do when you know that your dog was abused? Either it had broken bones or, you know, it had some kind of history or, you know, where it came from. A lot of, you know, unfortunately, a lot of pit bulls have been, you know, really abused and, you know, attacked and all. How do you fix that? Well, there are a lot of ways to fix it, but it starts with you. It really starts with you. You got to forgive and, and to a degree forget, but you got to forgive the past. Now, it doesn't mean that that person or animal had anything to do with that past or in creating that past. But when you have a dog who has any kind of abuse, and I used to do this with horses, I mean, I still do, but the ones I had that I used to uh, work with um, who were abused are, you know, long since deceased now because horses only live about 20 to 30 years. Um, but that dog that I was telling you about earlier that had all the burn marks, it was pretty bad. And my own little Lexi um, was my friend in Arizona, actually saw her, um, and she was being uh, being uh, chased and kicked um, around by teenagers. And then I took her. I, I adopted her. And she was terrified. I mean, she was so scared of everything. And, you know, she's, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. I don't know. I say she's a million. And, you know, she's the sweetest thing in the world. But the way you fix the past is by letting the past go and creating a beautiful new future. So let's say when your dog is now afraid of something, okay, your dog is, is afraid of, I don't know, thunder, a car, you pick up a, a, a toy to throw. That's, that's a really common one. People who use chuckets or, you know, you, you throw something, you put your arm up to throw it, and the dog cowers or runs from you. So if you're trying to play with a dog who's had a history of abuse, don't lift your hand up over your shoulder and over your head. Throw it underhand. Start by that. You want to change things. So we're talking about repatterning behavior. Now, every behavior happens because of something or other, right? Something caused that. There are some dogs who unfortunately have had, uh, you know, bad genetics, and um, that can be, you know, ill-bred, poorly bred, like a lot of the mixed-breed designer dogs are bred by people who really don't care at all about their dogs. Uh, they're just looking to make money. That's I'd put many, if not most, in that category. Um there are some people, I guess, trying to do it right, but, you know, that's a story for another day. But for the most part, those dogs are not much different than the dogs who were born underneath a trailer in, you know, Texas or the Deep South. They're not really much different from dogs who, you know, were shot at or hit or whatever. But the difference is that repatterning a behavior means that you're going to take whatever was the trigger, whatever that cause was, and you're going to change it almost, if you would, desensitizing the dog to it. That does not mean you take the dog to a shooting range when it's afraid of loud noises and you make it sit there for the whole time. But there are things you can do. And one of the really cool things with noise sensitivities that you can do is get yourself a, either an endless loop on an MP3 player, on your phone, and find, let's say your dog, for instance, is afraid of the sound of thunder, not the barometric pressure, but loud noises in general. So it hears thunder and it gets afraid because that's a different issue than barometric pressure, which many dogs can feel, many, most animals can feel. So let's say, for instance, the dog is afraid of loud noises. So you're not going to take the dog where there are a lot of loud noises because he's going to freak out, right? So that's proving and that's further basically strengthening the feeling that he has of, okay, I'm afraid of loud noises. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then what happens is you leave the dog there. The dog gets terrified. There's loud noises. You take the dog home. And then you wonder why is it 
that every time my dog hears a loud noise, he tries to drag me home. Because you're teaching them that behavior. You're patterning a behavior. You're starting a behavior, which basically a behavior is an action over time. So a behavior isn't because it happened once. A behavior is that it's happened multiple times. So it's repatterning. You're changing what was going on. So one of the things I tell people to do, and as a behaviorist, this is really, really important for, for me to tell you, is you start with two different things. First of all, you start with a very, 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 very low recording, almost inaudible, almost inaudible. So don't start with something loud, but let's say the thunderstorm, okay, or the loud noises, the fireworks. So you start very, very, very low where it's almost inaudible. You can barely hear it. Maybe you can't hear it, but the dog can hear it. And you're just going to leave that in, let's say, a comfortable corner where it may be somewhere where the dog is very comfortable in your home, let's say by his dog bed, um, but really, really low. So after a while, it's kind of like white noise. After a couple of days, he starts like, oh, that's not so bad. Then you can just crack it up one. Let's say there's 100 different levels of volume, so you start on one. So the next couple of days, you kick it up to two. Next couple of days, then you kick it up to three, then four, then five. And then as the dog gets more and more comfortable, that's when you start adding noises into that. So let's say if, let's say now we're at a 10 and the dog can hear it and the dog's not reacting, that's where you can add a little, not crazy loud, but a little louder bang or like dropping or a knock on the door, something like that, so that it's like this constant, uh, basic like white noise and that it's just going on and on and on. And then after the white noise, you just like give it a little bang and a little tap on something. Now, what happens to most of you guys, and I, I love this, and I love all of the people I've dealt with. I love all the animals I've dealt with in my life. Well, uh, let me say, I love all the animals I've dealt with in my life. I've loved many of the people in my life, and I've tolerated the rest. But you know what? That's what you have to do in this world, right? It, it makes you a better person. So apparently I'm really good right now because I've tolerated a lot. But, you know, let's say somebody who's got a criminal background, right? So that is, let's say we have a person with a criminal background who's, I don't know, threatening to kill his parents, okay? So you know that person is a little off the beaten track, right? So the chances are that that person is going to repeat that behavior, right? Two, three, four times, get caught for it, get convicted for it. But the way the courts are and the way the government is, those people kind of get to run free. Well, unfortunately, same thing can happen with people who have abused children and people who have abused animals. So they tend to go on and on and on, and they don't get caught. Uh, my husband always used to say for every time somebody got caught, they did it at least 10 times, if not 100 times before they did get caught. So I look at that and I say, wow. So if somebody's abused an animal, think of how many animals they really might have abused. It's kind of scary. So let's get back to the dog with the thunderstorm phobia. If you are like most of my friends and patients and all, everybody gets real quiet. They go, oh, he doesn't like loud noises. Janice, you got to be really quiet. He doesn't like loud noises. And then what happens? the doorbell rings or there's a knock at the door or that great TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? I think, personally, I don't know, but I think probably in through the years, the doorbells that they used to ring between scenes in some of the, the things where they were doing that, they used to have a doorbell on it. And in the reruns, the doorbell isn't on it anymore, well, at least the ones I've seen. And I've got to think that people, viewers, must have called in or written in and said, can you please take the doorbell off because we have to mute our TV when that section is on because my dog goes berserk when the doorbell rings in my house and then he thinks he hears the doorbell on your show and he thinks it's, it's the house. I mean, it's, it's really pretty funny. Think about that. But that's what happens. That is literally what happens. So 
people start getting very quiet around their dogs. If you've got a child or a dog, and again, children are children, so that you're not calling into a psychiatrist for children, you're calling in to a behaviorist who's got a really, really, uh, what do we say, strong sense of humor and strong sense of right and wrong. And I'm going to tell you something. The worst thing you can do is say, oh, he was abused. It was, you know, he, he had loud, he hates loud noises. Loud noises make him really freaked out. Be really quiet. Don't drop anything upstairs. And what you're doing is you're keeping your dog in the past. Stop living in the past. Stop letting or creating a situation and making your dog live in his past. It's okay for you to walk around in boots that make noise, and it's going to take a little time for him. Don't go overboard. Don't, you know, stare at him and throw a baseball at the wall right next to him. I mean, not like that. Or, you know, dropping buckets or or pots and pans. That's way too much. But don't keep your dog in the past. It's your job as the owner. And this is why I have so much success with dogs and horses who have been abused or who are even feral, who are terrified of people. Because I don't rush them. You have to understand something. Whether I'm training dogs to find cancer or other diseases, or anything that's inflammation, whether I'm waiting for a dog who maybe is is aggressive to calm down or a dog who maybe doesn't like other dogs to stop reacting, we cannot tell the dog, and we can, we're stupid if we think that there's a way that you can say, okay, I'm going to give him 45 minutes, and then, you know, it's like one, two, like you do with your little kids, Right. You say, one, two, and they go, okay, I'm going. Well, you can't do that with a dog. If you're working with animals, first thing you have to learn, if you ever want to be decent, is you have to go by the dog's or the animal's own timeline. If an animal doesn't trust you in 45 minutes, then you wait for an hour. And if it doesn't trust you in an hour, then you wait two hours. And if it doesn't trust you in two hours, you go three hours. You see what I'm saying? So this is why a lot of people wind up with local yokel obedience trainers. Some trainers are very good. There are some really good obedience trainers. I know of several that I actually recommend if somebody says, hey, I want to do obedience now that, my, now that you fixed my dog, Janice, and the dog isn't, isn't reactive to dogs. Now I want to do obedience. Awesome. Let's do that. Okay. But you can't predict with behavior. You can't predict and you can't dictate how long it's going to take. Like, oh, I'm going to give this dog 45 minutes because we have an hour session. That doesn't work because then you're going by your timeline. And to be fair to an animal and to really understand what you need to do, you have to go by the dog's timeline, by what he needs. If it takes him five minutes, or it takes them hours. It doesn't matter. You've got to have that time, and you've got to be fair to that animal. And if you try to push it, then you really don't know what the heck you're doing. And I've seen, I'm telling you, more people than not who they're like, oh, well, you know, I only have an hour. I'm going to work with my dog with noise sensitivity. Well, guess what? If your dog takes an hour and a half, then you're going to have a very unsuccessful time, and you're going to do more damage than good. That's why I tell people, don't go and say, I have five minutes, I'm going to work with my dog before I run out to work. Because what's your energy going to be like? Like the people who are trying to put their dog in a crate, they say, get get in your crate, get in your crate, come on, hurry, hurry, I'm late, I'm late, go, hurry up, come on, come on. And you start yelling at your dog, and the more amped up you get, and the more anxious you get, and the more pushy you get because you're late, the more the dog runs from you or doesn't do exactly what you wanted because your energy is changing that dog's behavior. Dog might even be afraid of you, but at the very least, he's going to think you're quite unstable and he's not going to follow what you say because he's so unstable. So let's just kind of look at this for a minute. Is the dog unstable because you are unstable? Are you setting your dog up for failure or are you setting your dog up for success? 
I always set my dogs and my patients up for success. Always. I don't want to set them up for failure. Why would I even try? So that's where when people call me and they say, hey, you know, Janice, I've had, you know, four trainers, a vet behaviorist, you know, they, they put them on Prozac, you know, the dog jumped off the second floor balcony, tried to attack a dog and then did attack a dog after jumping off a second floor balcony. And that's not the only time I've heard things like that. I've seen dogs or heard dogs of dogs going through windows. Uh, one of the rescues that I work with, one of the many, many rescues I work with, actually has um, uh, had a dog that it had jumped through a window, uh, a glass window, and broke the window out. I know there was another lady up in Westchester who had a dog, a Wheaton Terrier, that actually jumped out of a moving car uh, out of the window, and the window was only, you know, cracked. It wasn't all the way down. Dog broke the window out and attacked another dog. I believe it was a German Shepherd. Uh, attacked this dog that was walking with an owner. Dog jumped out of the car at like 30, 35 miles an hour. That's crazy. That's bizarre. But this is why you can't change your, the dog. You got to change you. So if you don't have the time to work with that animal, don't do it that time. I tell people a lot of times if you're working on creating your dog, don't do it when you got to go to work or not to not do it at all, but do it on a Saturday. Do it on a Sunday. Do it multiple times. Do it different times of the day. Make that a good, positive experience for the dog. you got to just look at it. And, you know, I'm, I've been, I don't even know how many dogs at this point, but I'm telling you, I've not ever seen a dog that did exactly what I wanted the very first time perfectly. And for people... It's taken years, all right? It's just tough. But the more you push and the more stressed you get, your energy is going to start affecting the way that dog is behaving. And if your energy is affecting your dog's behavior, then guess what? Your dog's behavior is a product of your energy. So what can we do? Can we change the dog's behavior? Yes. How? By changing your energy, by changing you by changing what you're doing. And it's okay for you to get frustrated. I get it. It's very, very easy to be frustrated. But don't be frustrated with your dog. Be frustrated with yourself. If you can look in the mirror and you can say, I've done good today. When you go to bed and you can say, I've helped somebody. I've done something good today. I've helped an animal. I've helped a child. I've helped somebody. I made somebody smile. I gave somebody who wasn't expecting it $100 that I didn't even have. But I found that $100 because, you know, I, I work really hard and I had that money. But that person needed it more. Be that person. Be that good change. Be that force of change. And only you can change your dog. I can't change your dog unless I can change you. And if I can change you together, we can help your dog. So stop blaming your dog. Stop blaming your spouse, your kids, whoever it is. Stop blaming the neighbor. Stop blaming the other dog. There's not necessarily a blame game going on here. It's really just about working together. And I say Team Fluffy or Team Knucklehead. Whatever we want to call it. If it's a fluffy dog, I call him Team Fluffy. And I look at everybody and I say in the family, all right, I understand you guys are arguing. And I understand this is your stepson and this is your, your biological daughter. And I understand that you and your spouse are having issues. I understand that. But that's why so many dogs pick up behavioral issues. Because the families that these dogs are living in, and I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying this is what is a contributing factor. So let's say a family, for instance, who has, oh, let's say they, they have a service dog for their kid, and the dog is like perfect. It's really well trained. It does everything it's supposed to, flies on the plane a few times, um, you know, goes out in public. Dog is great. 
well, what can ruin that dog? And those of you who have known me for, for a long time have heard me say this a bunch. How long does it take to wreck a service dog? How long does it take to wreck a dog? Well, about two weeks, you can pretty much wreck anything. You could wreck a marriage in two weeks. Heck, you could wreck a car in less than that. But the key is, if your energy is not good, if your energy is negative, if you're going through, let's say, a divorce or the loss of, like, a, a death, the loss of somebody, uh, a child moving away uh, to college or something, all of these things, okay, if you wound up and you had something that was really good and well-behaved, and I hear this all the time, where people say, my dog was great, but then my husband moved in with his, you know, daughter, and, and it's been terrible since then. Yeah, but that's why. You see, it's not the dog at all. A lot of times it's the people. I can give you, it's like with horses. I could have the most amazing horse, the best, best, best riding horse in the world. And I give it to somebody, and within a couple of weeks, they'll wreck it. That's why nobody lets you ride a really, really good horse. Even when you lease a horse, or it's just horses and dogs, it's animals, it's behaviors, behaviors, behavior. How long does it take to wreck a marriage? Maybe minutes sometimes, days, weeks. So if you have a situation where, you know, let's say they have a dog, or, you know, usually with the dog, it's kind of quick. If you have a dog that is the best dog in the world, confident, happy, mellow, you know, really good, isn't afraid of anything, you know, it's bonded to your kid, it's great, whether it's a service dog or a regular dog, just a well-trained dog. How long, and if anybody's a trainer, or if you're, you know, in the behavioral field, you know how long it takes. doesn't take very long at all. So that's where when somebody is irrational, somebody is mentally unstable, uh, people who scream a lot, people cheating on spouses, I find that's actually something that I've learned a little too much about sometimes when you're talking with families and you say, you know, if there's any distrust or anybody's, you know, doing anything to hurt someone, they feel guilty about, and then you see the the eye roll or the putting their hand over their mouth or, you know, things like that. And you go, okay, let me just get back to the dog here. But it's the same thing. That's the problem. So any dog, any animal, even a, even a humans, are, a marriage can be ruined. So you can have the most perfect horse, dog, pet, whatever it is, and somebody out there, if they have the wrong energy, the wrong attitude, or if they're going through a lot of stress from some kind of personal loss or a divorce is, is a big thing, bad you know, marital issues, that animal is going to be a symptom of that bad marriage. That animal might change. It might act very differently because the animal is picking up on all the stress of the family. And that is so important why these dogs are, um, you know, our dogs, not my dogs, but our collective dogs are having so many issues because we have COVID. And I've been telling everybody since the onset of COVID, listen, people, you know, <laughs> you're going to have dogs who are going to have separation anxiety. Start doing this now. Start going, you know, to the, another room in the house. Put your dog in the crate. Keep the same thing going. A lot of people, especially during COVID, um, stop taking their service dogs out. We tell everybody, not everybody listens. You know, we can only do what we can do. Uh, but we put them through a lot of training and on-set phone calls and all for the first year. And we pray that everybody continues on and does what we teach them. But sometimes, you know, people are going through a bad marriage. They're going through you know, issues or, you know, the in-laws move in or there's something that happens. Um, and then all of a sudden, all that good training and all the way everything used to be, it's all gone because they, the same way that an animal or a person can learn how to do something, they can learn how not to do it. And especially a dog who's really, really well trained, 
um, certain types of dogs, especially who are more of empaths. It can be in almost any breed. You can have a dog who, you know, those once in a lifetime dogs that they kind of just go into your soul. You know, they, they're just there. They know you. They understand you. They know when you're not feeling well. They know when you're sad. We look for dogs like that. We look for the ones, because those are the best service dogs. You know what's a terrible service dog? The happiest golden retriever in the world who loves everybody is the worst service dog in the world. Best therapy dog, worst service dog. You want a service dog who's going to be finding the times you need help. And in those times, it's not going to be looking to everybody else and go, hey, yeah, my owner's having a seizure, but oh, look at that little kid with the hot dog. I'm going to go walk over there. You actually want an animal who bonds and bonds really, really well to that individual. So that's where having the right dog is so important, but it's also about keeping people stable because as soon as somebody isn't stable, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I get calls about this all the time. It's crazy how many phone calls I get. And I get them from people not in our organization, but from outside. I just had one a few weeks ago. Um, the woman called me and she said, you know, I got this dog. It was eight months old. Uh, it was a poodle mix. And this place out west and said, you know, they, oh, yeah, you know, we, you know, we uh, got this fully trained service dog, like eight months old. Mm. You know, no reputable place will give a dog out to at least 15 months. We only give them out after 18 months, uh, at 18 months of age, uh, because they go through fear impact, flight instinct, another fear impact. They go through different, you know, chewing and, and biting and nipping and puppy things because they're dogs. And eight months is way too young. So she asked me, you know, she says, oh, you're not that far away. Would you be able to help, you know, work with this dog um, and maybe train it, you know, retrain it after they'd spent, I think, $26,000 at this place? Um, Can you retrain it? Well, I've had a few different dogs come from this place. um, And uh, I met with the dog. And this dog was just, I mean, it was the typical out of control, like, I mean, so hyper, you couldn't even see what the dog looked like. It was a blur, and they put the vest on it, and it was the same blur. And I said, well, the first thing you got to do is, you know, stop feeding the dog, you know, giving it treats all the time because, you're, you know, the place told her, her apparently that she was supposed to be, you know, every time the dog sat, every time the dog laid down, you know, give it a cookie, give it a cookie, give it a cookie, give it a cookie. So the dog was literally putting its butt on the ground, standing up. So it put its butt on the ground. She'd give it a cookie. It'd stand up. She'd tell it to lay down. Well, that it didn't do. Sit. Okay, it sits. And it was bouncing back up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, honestly, I mean, I was like so stressed with this dog. And I'm like, oh, my God. Now, if that were just a regular, you know, somebody called and, you know, said, hey, you know, Janice, can you come help me with my dog? That would have been fine. I, I handle that kind of, I handle a lot of bad stuff. But the key was that the place wasn't even supporting them at all. It wasn't letting them have any help. Um, I told her, I said, I would, you know, send the dog back or, you know, ask them to, you know, have somebody tra- work with you. But the dog really needs to go back and needs probably a, another year at least. And I don't know if it's going to make it. But I didn't want to get involved in it. Because it just it was the wrong dog. The dog is out of control. Those of you who have the, you know, poodle mixes, not, you know, usually standard poodles are okay. But, I mean, a lot of these mixed breed designer dogs that everybody's spending a ridiculous amount of money for. And, yes, they're cute and fluffy. Their hair grows crazy. So you have to get them groomed every month. But they're hyper. I mean, some of them are just naturally going to bite because they're, you know, inbred or they're poorly bred. But And I'm not saying every single dog, but I, you know me, I'm very blunt. I'm going to tell it as it is. And that's the thing that you can't change that. You can help it a little. You can medicate it, although I'm not going to advocate like medicating every dog that's hyper. But there are dogs who are just poorly bred. They have off chemistry. It's just their brain chemistry is wrong and nobody cares about it. But 
you know, that's why they call these F1B instead of F2s and F3s, because they know if you go past F1, you have problems. And they're also F1s, are typically not all hypoallergenic, whatever that means, lower shedding. Um, but the F2s typically are when you breed it back to a poodle again. So what do you do when you have a super hyper dog? You want it to be a service dog for your super hyper kid. It's not really a good thing, right? So that is where, uh, you know, there's a, a meeting of the minds here. And that is where you can take a poorly bred dog and you shouldn't be training it to be a service dog. You can take it and have fun with it. Um, maybe get it into something competitive agility or something where the dog's energy is going to be channeled into something good. But don't try to change it. Like I said about the golden retriever earlier, don't take a really sweet knucklehead golden, and they're such good dogs. that He doesn't want to do this. He wants to just go love everyone. So why are you going to like basically suck the fun out of him when you should just let him be? Let him be that happy dog. Turn him into a therapy dog. He doesn't need to be a service dog. And I'm not saying that Goldens can't be good service dogs because we've had several that are wonderful. Uh, a couple of them are really, really good. But you can't look and say as a puppy that that puppy is going to grow up. Like if you get a dog and you get a puppy for your child, you don't know if that puppy is going to grow up to even want to be around your child. I've seen more times than not where... People go get a puppy, and the puppy bonds to the father or the mother or the other child, and the puppy doesn't want to have anything to do with the child, or the, the puppy barks, or a hyper dog, it's jumping, and the people wind up getting rid of the dog or, you know, giving it to a family member or something who doesn't live in the house. I mean, it's just so sad. It's just so sad. So stop trying to blame the dog for things. It's us. It's us. We have to be the ones who make the good decisions for our pets, for our families. We're the ones who have to have calm, confident energy, not the whole calm, assertive. Assertive is in your face. That's not a good thing. You don't want to be assertive. You want to be confident. So if your dog is doing something that you don't wish him to do, Instead of yelling at the dog, because now you're totally proving the dog's fear of like, this person is a lunatic. They are not competent to take care of me. If that's what's going on, then, you know, we have to look at why that's going on. And a lot of times it comes back to family members or people who are very jealous of each other. Uh, They don't want the dog to succeed. They don't want the person to succeed. Um, there may be narcissists. There's a lot of narcissists out there, really. Um, believe it or not, and I've, I've been around a few of them. Um, and this is just something that people need to understand. You can't be that way with an animal. You can't. Because the animal, if you're going to be cruel and harm the animal or yell at the animal, listen, yelling at a child is almost as bad and sometimes worse than hitting a child. The words can be so cruel. And same thing with animals. When you are you know, working with an animal and you lose your patience, you lose your whole like being, right? You lose your, your self-control. That poor animal has to listen to you still. Like, that animal isn't done yet. So if you lose your control, self-control and if you're not you know, going to be having that animal be confident that you're doing a good job and taking care of them, you're going to wreck that dog. And you can wreck a service dog. I teach that in my classes every Wednesday. You know, how many, how long does it take to ruin a dog, any dog, service dog, a horse, any kind of animal? Pretty much two weeks. You know, it takes three times to make a habit, to start the habit. And you can take a dog who's been trained for a year and a half or two years and you can ruin it because you're going through some kind of trauma or like I said, divorce, or you're going through some kind of, you know, something, or maybe it's just you as a person. Maybe you're just not a really stable person. And that kind of thing ruins dogs. I I hear it. I mean, I just had somebody else, lovely, lovely family. 
they've had two puppies. The first one got aggressive, and the second one had uh, another issue where um, it just wouldn't stop barking. And they, she got them both from puppies, and they both turned out terrible. And she gave them both away, and it wasn't her fault. It was just her situation. It was a lot for her um, being a single mother and having a lot of kids and not being able to do what she needed to do. And it's, it's just so heartbreaking. I, I don't know how to say it, but it's us. All right. It's us. Stop blaming your animal. So again, earlier on, we talked about how do you change the animal if you're keeping the animal in the past? You got to change yourself. You see, we're coming back to the common thing here. The common thread is, yeah, it's us. So even though you didn't cause the animal to have the problem, the one you rescued that was abused or beaten, just because you didn't do that doesn't mean you don't have the power to fix it because you do have the power to fix it. Absolutely have the power to fix it. But if you have an animal who's been really well-trained, you can also undo that training. And that is something that you got to blame yourself for. So if you have an animal that's been great everywhere else and you get it and it's not great for you, well, I see a pattern, don't you? Well, you know, we're getting close to the end of the show. I love talking about things. I love talking to people who are intelligent and who want to change their animals who want to change themselves in order to better their animals and their families. And I love what I do. I am fiercely loyal to those who help animals or stand up for children. And I hope that you will also take on that same principle of let's take good care of those who take good care of animals and children and let's not be so nice. Let's, understand, but let's not do anything that's going to ever hurt an animal or that's going to help somebody who's a bad person to do something to hurt somebody else or to hurt an animal or to hurt a child. Let's do good for ourselves, but let's do better for each other. Let's help people we don't even know. Let's donate money. Let's give of our time. Let's put millions of dollars of our time and our thoughts through a lifetime, let's do that for other people, maybe for people you don't even know, especially for people you don't know. Just do something nice. Be kind. Be good. Be good to animals. Be good to your own animals. Be good to your family. Be good to those who aren't your family. And stop blaming the world for your shortcomings. Be honest with yourself. And have a wonderful, wonderful day, great weekend, and wish everybody fantastic, happy, healthy, healthy upcoming July 4th weekend, which is next weekend. Please take care of yourself, be good to yourself, and smile. So long for now. <laughs>